0: This is an encore presentation of The Catholic Cave. For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in The Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, we have just passed Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which, you know, used to be a religious holiday. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the virtue of being grateful, the virtue of, you know, being thankful for what we had. And it, um, to be honest, it's kind of become, you know, a celebration of... One of the seven deadly sins, gluttony. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the question is, you know, that's a holiday that kind of has been taken over by the secular world. And here we are coming up uh, next week. We begin Advent leading up to probably the most hijacked holiday that you could possibly think of. Christmas. Yeah. Used to be all about... Christ used to be all about celebrating the birth of a Savior, and now it's all about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and how much can you spend, how much can you get, and, uh, oh, yeah, then there's that guy in the big red suit, but uh, we talk about him, but we
1: don't talk much about Jesus anymore. No,
2: I've noticed that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, Christmas has turned into a celebration of another of the seven deadly sins, greed.
2: It, it has. And, yeah.
1: and, and envy to a certain extent, too. Yes, so, yeah,
2: And, and of course, yeah. gluttony is, is thrown in there as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving aren't unique in this either because Easter has been completely secularized to a certain extent. You know, you uh, go to the supermarket and you see toy bunnies and, and plastic eggs. And, and so there's a, a commercialization that's happened on Easter. And then the... Second largest one, and I guess this one kind of deserves to be a commercial holiday, is Halloween. So, and, you know, Halloween could have religious significance. We All hope, Hallows' Eve. Yeah, we've, we've talked about we've that. We've talked about that. I mean, I think I think it's up to us to, to sort of reassert or assert for the first time a uh, religious significance to Halloween. But, um, but yeah, no, no doubt the uh, secular world has crept into these religious holidays. And, uh, you know, the secular world is continuing to grow and push against what really was a very Christian culture.
2: Yeah, so that's going to be the theme of our show today, secularization and that sphere of, yeah, that seemed that sphere of the secular, which seems to be crowding out quite successfully the sphere of religiosity.
1: Right, and you know, one way that Saint. Augustine laid out to understand things like this was to look at them as the absence of goodness according to mm-hmm. according to Saint. Augustine you know evil is is non-existent right. there is no such thing as evil evil is just simply the denial and absence of the good yeah a uh, ug- good that should be there right ugliness yeah. I think is is probably the easiest of those three transcendentals to understand that way that that something is ugly is ugly because it's lacking in beauty. Yeah, you know, right. that that's that's the best way to kind of define ugliness. Yeah. So when you look at secularization, is it a, a fair definition to him to say that secularization is sort of that that absence of religion and that absence of the presence of Christ?
2: Yes, and I would say it's the pro- it's a pro- since we're using the word secularization, it's the process of the of removing religion from society, from culture. Um, from the state of affairs. <laughs> and so um, and it presents enormous problems for Catholics and other people of faith, um, not the least of which is that it has, uh, among other things, I would say one of its, one of its features, maybe we'll talk about different features here too, Mark, is uh, one of the features is that it, it flies a false flag of neutrality. that when things are secular, or, be, or have been secularized, That, that that's sort of a, a neutral position, and it's not. Secularization brings with it a whole list of ideological um, commitments.
1: Right, and part of the reason why that that is is I, I think we have to start our conversation with a little bit of, of, of talk about anthropology. So anthropology yes. is the study of what is man constituted like? How are we made? How are we wired? What What's built into us? And so there's a fundamental question, is man built to be a religious animal? Are we created with the understanding and a certain knowledge of God to where we just naturally offer worship and praise of God and therefore a process of secularization that has to be like deprogrammed out of us? Or are we naturally secular and we have to learn about God and discover God and find God Um And so, you know, I think that's a huge dividing line in how not only people in general, but really different sects of Christianity see human beings.
2: Yeah, that you've really put your pointed on this sort of map of meaning, this fork in the road, because, again, the starting our our starting point with these fundamental commitments um, that are what constitute our worldview and our worldview is how we're going to process, react, respond and interact with others in the world in which we live. So if our fundamental commitment or understanding is that human beings are are secular by by nature, sort of by birth, um, that that's what constitute that's part of what constitutes us as human being, well then that's gonna put us on a particular trajectory that's very different from a Catholic Christian understanding of the human person.
1: Right, right, and it it matters because it, it sort of dictates which side of this divide has to be aggressive. You know, if man is by nature a religious animal and by nature knows God, then secularization has to be kind of an aggressive process. Like I said, you've got to be deprogrammed from your belief in God. If, on the other hand, man is by nature religious and knows God, I take that back. <laughs> Other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, if by nature, man is is born without any knowledge of God whatsoever, then Christ has to come and insert himself into the world in one way or another, um, or God in, in some form, and introduce himself to man and save man to a certain extent from his own sins. And, and you can kind of see both of those being tenable positions within Christianity.
2: Yeah. Well, I... One thing that was uh, recently that uh, I came across, um, you know, I'm I'm geeky like you are, Mark. I like to listen to different podcasts and things like that. And uh, just uh, earlier this month, at the beginning of November, um, Notre Dame had their, I think it was their 18th or 19th annual Ethics and Culture Symposium. And this year they focused on Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you know, the Nobel uh, Prize laureate um, for his work really defining... And exposing the uh, totalitarian communist system of of the Soviet Union, and in particular with his masterpiece, uh, the Gulag Archipelago, about his his experience as well as others people's experience in the Gulag system. And reason why I bring that up is relative to our conversation here is that. Um, the communist socialist impulse is one of secularization. It is an it's atheistic by and it's intrinsically atheistic. And Solzhenitsyn pointed out that the reason for the failure of the Soviet Union at rock bottom was that they had their anthropology wrong uh, by denying the existence of God or man's man's uh, complete dependence on God.
1: Yeah, and, and you know Solzhenitsyn went even further than that to a certain extent. And he had a lot of criticism for the West yes, because he he saw a similar anthropology and belief emerging emerging here here and, um, and and was very critical of capitalism because it had that same materialistic impulse. It broke everything down to simply materialism and it denied the spiritual reality of human beings. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. when we look at the secularization of our holidays of, of our religious holidays and that impulse to, to, pull christ out of christmas or to turn thanksgiving into you know simply feasting and football um which are good things which are but, good things right yeah, yeah but exactly. it's not the whole thing right i mean <laughs> we, we we cowboy fans we definitely still do keep the religious element involved because right i'm sure it, you do exactly Texan. exactly dallas and dallas and washington are uh you know that's a high holy day when those two teams face off so. yeah and dallas needs all the prayer they can get
2: <laughs> oh there we go that's right that's right. Well, you know that uh, you know that's an that's an excellent point there. You were making, Mark, um, about this this secularization. Um, I, I noticed it. You know, I know I tend to notice this time of year. I think all all of us do that. It seems every year earlier and earlier that um, uh, the commercialization elements for these holidays, but in particular, Christmas is the easiest one to pick up on, right? Because that always includes gift giving, so purchasing gifts, but it's, it's this um, p- part of what you're pointing to, I think, is, and I agree with, is this the economic sphere, the commercial uh, society is engulfing um, all of is, is become the, per- the dominant feature uh, instead of the, the, you know, the thing that makes Catholicism uh, one of the best features of Catholicism is that it's a religion of joy that god became man he became one of us and so when you look at the two high holy days it's christmas and easter and those are those are filled with joy and you know when you walk when i walk through different stores and i notice they've got their quote unquote christmas decorations out i'm almost i am i'm usually very surprised and shocked if I see anything related to the nativity, yeah,
1: it's become, it's, it's all landscapes, uh, and, you know, winter right.
2: landscapes and Santa.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's few and far between to, to find uh, some place that still has that religious significance with the the stuff that they're they're selling. Yeah, but you know, outside of our friends at, right.
2: at Catholic bookstores They tend to carry that yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and, you know, I
1: mean, the Hobby Lobby. And, I mean, yeah. there, there's other Christian stores out there that, yeah. that still – the secular world hasn't been
2: completely triumphant, that's for sure. No, but it's ascending. It's
1: ascending. And, and the reason why it's ascending, I think, is because there's that built-in definition of what defines happiness. You know, if you want to understand a person's mm. anthropology, their view of what constitutes human beings – one of the things is to look at what is the goal that you see for human life and both communism and capitalism hold out that world of material plenty as the ultimate Mm. definition of happiness. If we can provide the material goods for society in the best way possible and you know, you know, communistic socialism has one set of means to do that, where capitalism has a different set of means to do that. But what Solzhenitsyn was pointed out is the goal of both of them is the same, and it's not finding joy in Christ.
2: Right, yeah. He he was a, a very devout, committed Christian himself, and he saw that that by elevating uh, any economic any economic system, whether it's as you mentioned, communism, capitalism, or other arra- economic arrangements, as the as the highest good, uh, there's going to be problems because ultimately that requires the dispensing with a proper understanding of the human person. Yeah, and he was, It subordinates the human person to this economic activity or these economic goals.
1: Right, and he also was very clear that there's there's not any sort of moral equivalence between the two. I mean, communism was a brutal, horrible, um, murderous regime, and—, and Capitalism has not become that, so you know to, to try to draw some sort of moral equivalence doesn't doesn't work. But we're coming up on a break, and so uh, you're listening to the Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. When you come, when we come back, we'll uh, discuss a little bit more about secularization, and uh, I think we'll start talking about the seven deadly sins. Mm. And we'll be right back with that right here on Catholic Radio Indy.
0: You know us as Catholic Radio Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a website. CatholicRadioIndy.org, with access to great Catholic resources, including podcasts of all our local programming, podcasts that have been downloaded from all 50 states and over 40 countries on six continents. Yes, we are Catholic Radio Indy, but thanks to your support, we're taking the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org.
1: Welcome back once again to The Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle, here with Timothy O'Donnell, Kent Blandford. and... And we've been talking about the secularization of Christmas.
2: Oh, we, we've, sad and tragic. We're sitting in
1: here. Um, <laughs> Tim has his uh, his Grinch his his Grinch costume yes, on. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, we're, we're Tights talk- and all. Exactly. So we're talking about <laughs> how Christmas, how the secular world has has stolen Christmas, how it's stolen Thanksgiving, and and I think more importantly, how that secular world is creeping, gradually into and pushing back against sort of what used to be a religious culture.
2: It's wiping away, I think. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 sort of taking like uh, uh, wiping away all the religiosity, the religious significance behind these these holidays. And I, you know, kind of take them in order. When I think of Thanksgiving, you know, I'm I'm often moved by. And one of our family traditions is we read as part of our um, part of our meal, um, part of the prayer, if you will, before we we actually begin to eat. Is I'll read Lincoln's address on Thanksgiving, uh-huh. uh, which is given during the Civil War, right? And um, it's it's a very mo- it's easy to download. You can do Lincoln's address Thanksgiving, easy to get online, um, and I would recommend doing it. It's very religious. It's very uh, humbling, um, and it's a good reminder that the thanks that we we have a, a, a tremendous amount to be grateful for, but most importantly is. To God uh, and His blessings that He's bestowed on us,
1: right? Lincoln was very conscious of God's providence, of, yeah. of of God's hand within history, and that it was really God that was leading the nation, and that it was God, you know, in His belief, it was it was God that was punishing the nation for this tremendous sin of slavery, and that's really what right. the you know his understanding of what the Civil War was was all about was was God's judgment on our nation, and so yeah, he was he was very conscious of. Th- the blessings that God has given us and very conscious of, even in the midst of trial and difficulty, the importance of being grateful the importance of expressing our, our gratefulness back to God. And yeah, Thanksgiving has, has completely lost that sense of it. You know, now, now if we, we, now when we're thankful, you know, it, 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 it's for family, it's for the food that's on the table. Um, but it doesn't often get much deeper than that, and it's not no. a. It, it is. This is not a national day of giving thanks for God's providence and God's place
2: within our culture. No, in fact, uh, if you express those feelings, a lot of times you get attacked. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, as Christmas season's coming up, I mean, it's. I, I think it's less frequent now than it was a few years ago, but if you say "Merry Christmas" out in public, oh, yeah, you yeah. can uh, you, you can put yourself out there to a certain extent of, ooh, you're one of those Christians. And, you know, we were talking before the break that I think where this breakdown comes is an understanding of how mankind is made, you know, what, what mankind is made of to a certain extent, and more importantly, where we're headed, what our ultimate goal is, what, where happiness lies, what our goal in life um, is. And the secular world lays that out very differently than Christianity does.
2: Yeah, so for the Catholic understanding, right, we're embodied souls uh, made in the image and likeness of God. And we're made with a with a purpose and internal destiny. Um, and that's what needs to inform our our worldview, quite frankly, and how we understand each other because that's also that also undergirds the fundamental uh, understanding uh, that we I think we all want to affirm, which is that every human being has intrinsic value and worth, that all life is sacred and precious.
1: Right. And then also then, covers, I I guess, the understanding of what is sin or what is evil or what is wrong. Um, And from a secular point of view, something that's sinful or wrong is simply something that keeps you from achieving what you want, from achieving your goals, from achieving your desires. That's kind of how the secular world defines sin. Whereas for the the Christian, it's something that hides and, and misshapes or distorts that image of God. Yeah, it kind of disfigures it. Right, exactly. And so you have two very different understandings of sin, and I think that also colors very much how um, our joy is presented, how the the point of the holidays are are, um, centered. So you can kind of see the perversions a little bit that come from the secular world when we're talking about Thanksgiving or Christmas being, I guess, twisted by the the secular world.
2: Yeah, there's this—part of the secular world, too, has this— um, tends to have this prevailing um, self understanding of being a good person you know that uh, well if I'm a good person, you know, that that's sort of s- that's the sufficient moral standard <laughs> right. for everything and I, I got asked this question um, I had some friends over at the house on uh, over the weekend and uh, I had a y- younger guy uh, about 30 31 years old um, you know was who's very secular himself and I wouldn't say athe- atheistic as much as maybe agnostic or or at least non-religious. Uh, maybe non-religious. I
1: think the term is functionally agnostic. I've, I've, there you I've go. Seen that you know they they may or may not believe in God, but quite they're honestly, not even like, interested. It doesn't it doesn't matter for their life. Correct. So, yeah. So okay.
2: So that's that's exactly the category I would place this young man in. And he asked the, he asked me this question. He said, "Well, you know, because he knows I I uh, dabble in philosophy, so he, he asked this question. He said, well, so.'" I, you know, I have compassion for other people. I have empathy. I'm striving to be a good person, but my, one of my weaknesses is, is that I have a fast car and sometimes I'll drive 100 miles an hour on the highway. Does that make me a bad person? And I said, well, it might, because that's an extremely dangerous speed. Yeah, it's <laughs> reckless. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> it's reckless, it's foolish. It may, you may be, depending on who else is on the road, uh, you may be certainly are endangering yourself, but you may be endangering others. I said, let me put it to you this way. You're less of a good person for doing it. And that sort of seemed to resonate with him a little bit. That yeah. um, began to maybe open him up a little bit that there are things that are uh, there are objective standards by which one begins to remove oneself out of the category of being a quote unquote good person. You know,
1: that idea of a good person is one that we just sort of assume there's a collective agreement as to what a good person is.
2: You know what I think it is? But likeability. likeability I think is what it comes down to. Maybe. Is that someone's likability. Well I think that's the self-assessment generally that if, if I'm a likable person I'm probably a good person. I
1: think I think it that's that's down a part to, of it. I think it breaks down to capability. I'm a capable person. Oh, in okay. other words, I'm able to achieve, and um, you know, oh, I, I there's think, some of that too. Yeah, I, I think, especially I'll, in the workplace. Right. So I think when you start, I, what I was going with that though is I think when you break it down, Christians and secularists do have two very different definitions of a good person.
2: Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah, and so um, you know trying to figure out what constitutes a good person. There's lots of different philosophical ways to go about it, but one is it, it kind of came up as we were talking about your friend. You know, he was talking about his actions of driving in his fast car, you know, 100, 200 miles. I don't know if it could go 200. <laughs> but
2: it, it could go 100 because he's got uh, he's got like a Grand Prix or something like that. Yeah, Mustang. So, yeah 130,
1: 140 miles an hour down the, the highway. Um, you know, describing that action – One of the ways you can kind of get to, okay, how do you define what a good person is, is by talking about what virtues lead up to being a good person. Right. And the opposite of that, of course, is talking about what faults, vices, sins lead you away from being a good person. So if you're reckless. Ooh, we should talk about some of exactly. those. Exactly. So if you're reckless, it's exactly as you said, it makes you less of a good person because you have this vice. So this vice naturally moves you away from the virtue that makes you a good person.
2: So how would you define vice? What what comes to mind? Well, the
1: vice is very simply, it's opposite of virtue. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what virtue. So let, let's say the, the the example of your friend, a good person is someone that's considerate and careful with their own life mm-hmm. and with the lives of others. He was being reckless and careless. So that's a vice because it's not being considerate mm-hmm. and careful. And and you know that virtue comes into play whether you're a Christian. That virtue mm-hmm. comes into play whether you're a secularist that believes that the, the height of being a good person is being nice. Because you know being inconsiderate of other people's and, and incautious with their life that's not very nice. Right, And, <laughs> and it, also comes in, it also comes into play if, you know, the, the ideal of being a good human being is being one that, that's capable of achievement. Um, because if you're reckless, that is going to ultimately thwart your ability to achieve, and it's going to thwart the ability of others to achieve. So I, I, any of those three ways, it's a vice. But depending on what you see a, a, a good person ultimately being, it's going to kind of color the way that virtue and mm-hmm. that vice is understood.
2: And there are, um, a, you know, there's a, 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 almost an a endless way in which one could list a variety of different vices, right? right. So just like with virtues. But specifically, though, if we turn to, you brought up sin, and let's say deadly sin. There are seven deadly sins that Holy Mother Church presents to us. Right. And they are gluttony, lust, greed, sloth, pride, anger envy
1: you got them all you got all right, all seven of them. All right.
2: <laughs> it was touch and go there for a while i have to admit <laughs>
1: well you should be proud of yourself <laughs> and you know those are particularly important in this season because you know just a reminder to our listeners it is not christmas yet it may look like it is you may walk oh. down the street and you may hear christmas carols and you may see the the trim and the, the the green and everything in every store that you go to but this season is the season of advent it's not the season yeah. of Christmas. And Advent is all about becoming heightened and aware of virtue and vice so that we can prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ into the world at Christmas time.
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's such a beautiful season, Advent. Uh, one of my favorite. I love, I love Advent calendars. I love the candles uh, each week that we're lighting, um, the Advent wreaths. Just everything about, I I love putting together, you know, Christmas cards and just the whole preparation, but that's the key. That's, you know, um, by sort of skipping over or ignoring Advent, uh, Christmas itself seems to me to be diminished, Mm. right? Because we haven't done all the, we haven't gone through all the beautiful traditions and um, celebrations, but also uh, Advent also is, it has a penitential um, component to it as well that we don't want to just gloss over
1: right and you know the secular world has done even worse than just ignore it the secular world has perverted it and turned it from you know a season where we prepare by practicing virtue you know acts of charity acts of prayer um, acts almsgiving of almsgiving exactly right. has, has turned it from that into a season of really literally practicing vice so I you, it's interesting if you talk to police officers Crime goes up during the holidays. Oh, you know, people steal. You, you talk to people, mm. you talk to people that are involved in alcohol treatment. People relapse uh, and have, have more yeah. trouble with alcoholism during the holidays. Mm. Um, obviously, I don't think we have to talk about greed and envy. I mean, the, the whole secular world <laughs> right. is pouring in. Trying to, in. <laughs> trying to have, tickle
2: those. And uh, yeah. and,
1: and you know, if you're, if I, it's a delicate topic to bring up, but you know what? If there's going to be an office affair that happens, very often they start with that christmas party
2: oh well yeah you do see that depicted quite frequently on uh the television shows and the movies
0: we need to take a break and we'll be back to take a look at uh you know maybe how some of these other seven deadly sins apply to the holidays and maybe take a look at uh how we could apply some of the virtues also we'll be back with more of the catholic cave right after this think of all the media our young people are exposed to today MTV, movies, what passes for entertainment on TV, song lyrics that are questionable or worse, where do they hear the message that it's okay to be chaste and modest, or that it's not crazy to practice their faith, or to believe in a God who loves them and can forgive them no matter what they do? Catholic Radio is the answer. Be sure to tell your friends and relatives about Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to The Catholic Cave. I'm Kim Blayford in the cave with me, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell. Hello. Mr. Mark Tuttle. Good day. We're talking about the secularization of holidays. We've just passed Thanksgiving. We're heading into the Advent season. Now, Monday is Cyber Monday. So just a reminder, if you're sitting there at your computer and you've got your computer and you've got your credit card handy... Um, you know, it's real easy to go to Catholic Radio Indy and type in a donation. You bet it is. That, that would be <laughs> greatly welcomed. And then Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. So, you know, after if there's anything left after you've spent everything on Cyber Monday, you know, they always say, you know, try to keep us between your your electric bill and your gas bill. You know what? You, you could put us at the end of the stack. If there's anything left that you can help us out with, it'd be a great, great blessing and privilege for us to uh, have your support so guys let's take a look at the the secularization of the holidays um is it an are we looking at something that is a an, an active attack on the religious or is it uh, just kind of an apathy on our our part that uh, is letting it happen yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: well, think the apathy allows the attacks to, to 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 take place or gain ground.
1: Right. And I think it goes back to that question we raised in the first segment of the show and that is it depends on how you see human beings. Are human beings religious animals or are human beings essentially sinful animals that have to be introduced to God and introduced to religion? Mm. And depending on how you answer that question, that's going to kind of color how you see the, this militant secularism. Is it primarily because people aren't fulfilling their religious duty, they're forgetting about God, and it's, it's primarily sloth and forgetfulness? Or is it a militant secularism that you know this is just sort of sinful man being sinful man, and it's up to the rest of us who, who know God and have, have understood God to evangelize and, and bring the light of Christ to the rest of the world?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the big problems is that materialism and consumerism is what's surplanting our 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 sense of the sacred, um, and the uh, commercial society is just bombarding us with messages, uh, visual, auditory, uh, just in our relationships, everything's is geared towards consuming, consuming, consuming more and more material goods. For ourselves and for others, but uh, as a way to achieve happiness, and it's a false path. Right, right. Or fle- it, fleeting. Yeah,
1: and I think, it, I think it's an uh, attempt to achieve happiness in two ways. On the one hand, yeah, you, you have all the, the creature comforts that material wealth offers you, so you can be comfortable. And that leads to a certain amount of happiness. But I think even more importantly, it's proof that you are somebody capable of achieving so if you are able to purchase a fast car, if you are able to dress nicely, if you are able to go and, and, and spend all but your last little bit that you're going to give on Giving Tuesday to Catholic Radio, if you're able to spend that on right. Black Friday and Cyber Monday, <laughs> then you're somebody that, that has achieved happiness because you're capable of, of, of being a fulfilled person because you're, you're capable of producing.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting insight into that, Mark. I, I want to bring us back to our talk about the the seven deadly sins and just to rehearse the uh, list one more time, because I want us to talk about ways we might be able to oppose them or, or overcome them. Yeah,
1: especially in Advent, because, you know, that really is what Advent is is about in a lot of ways. You know, it's a as you mentioned, it's a penitential um it's a penitential season. In a lot of ways it's a little lent. And and you know, our Eastern brothers and sisters describe it as that, as a, a, a little lent. So this is a time of practicing virtue, of trying to purge ourselves of the excesses, of trying to prepare our hearts and, and prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ at Christmas.
2: Right. And that's why the liturgical colors are purple too. Right. To remind right.
1: us that this is a time of, of penance.
2: Right. So our list of seven deadly sins Um, And sometimes these are formulated differently, though I think this this one kind of captures a traditional sense. I think we've got that here, which is, again, gluttony, lust, greed, sloth, pride, anger, envy. And what I'd like to do is, Mark, maybe let's take them maybe one at a time and maybe share with us what might be an opposing virtue that we might practice Mm -hmm. that would help us reorient reorientate ourselves. Right. Towards you know, the I think,
1: I think one of the contexts we can do this in is, is looking at one of uh, Yours and My's favorite Christmas films. Oh. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Love it. Right. It's because, my favorite.
2: <laughs> because in this or film... Or It's a Wonderful Life is pretty right, close to. Because
1: in this <laughs> film... You see the Griswold family struggle with all seven of these. deadly Yes, they sins. do. <laughs> yes, they do. That's, that's so, so can, spot on. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can start with the, with the very first one, and that is pride.
2: Oh, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, that is that that is sort of the king yeah. of them all. Yeah, yeah. but I'm
1: I'm. I'm um, Picturing the scene where Clark Griswold is walking into his, his uh, boss's office. Oh. And the boss is, has lined up those little tiny Christmas presents that are going to go out. <laughs> right. And he's wondering, am I going to get my Christmas bonus this year? Right. And and he's walking in, and there's this big, long, giant office, and his, his boss, like a boardroom, is prayed by the yeah. Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> is sitting <laughs> right. at the end. And <laughs> it is the most humiliating scene. Right. <laughs> You're can ever imagine of yeah. this 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 little diminutive boss putting his uh putting his employees in their place right so <laughs> right. You, you don't get a much better vision shredding
2: them shredding exactly them. Yeah. and so
1: You know, pride is is put right there because Clark's pride is is challenged by this whole scene of having to having to bend his knee to a certain extent to this boss. (laughs) And that's a theme throughout the rest of the movie is (laughs) to what extent is Clark going to have to bend his knee to his boss?
2: Well, and I'll say I'll throw one out there just because it uh, tell me what you think of this one. So for gluttony, here's what pops in my mind. All the Christmas lights he puts on his house. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, there's. I mean, obviously, decorating your house with Christmas lights—that's a good thing. I encourage that. I do it myself. But remember, he puts up—I don't know—five hundred thousand lights or something. You <laughs> well, know, when he flips, blows, on. When he finally flips on the electrical cause, grid. Cause, yeah,
1: exactly. The electrical grid in the whole city of Chicago goes <laughs> right. vroom, down and up. <laughs> right. I actually have
2: right. a. I actually have a friend who is very competitive in his neighborhood. Uh, they live uh they live over in uh, Carmel and uh, they've they've got a in their little neighborhood they there are a handful of them that do i i'm not kidding you he's up to he's over 30,000 lights and he's had electricians out two different times over the years to add more power he's got a se- he literally has like a separate electrical grid that he uses just for his christmas lights i mean <laughs> and i've driven by it's it's humble It takes him. He's literally got a map that he on how to put it all together and which goes where and all. I mean, it's it's so sophist. It's so over the. It's so that's why I call him Griswold. <laughs>
1: Well, and you know, the reason why the movie works is because I think we all relate. We all relate to Clark Griswold. And those impulses. And those impulses. And we all kind of see this is what Christmas could be. (laughs) Right. If only we'd let ourselves go. Only, (laughs) uh, Yeah. At at our own houses, this is what Christmas could deteriorate into. Right. So, and and the reason why is because, once again, the, the Griswold family does sort of and, and the, you know, they, they Embody added, a lot yeah, of yeah, exactly. our
2: shortcomings. We and, can see our shortcomings. And,
1: but but you also then you have the um, you have those those opposite virtues that are in place. So looking at sloth, right, the character that embodies sloth in um, the cousin, Eddie? Is, is cousin Eddie. It's cousin Eddie. I love cousin Eddie. I love his
2: shoes. Right. In fact, if anyone wants to get me a Christmas present, I would love like a pair of size twelve of those white loafers. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: And you know the. Um, you know the, the the counter there in the conversations between Clark and Cousin Eddie is the contrast between Cousin Eddie's very slothful lifestyle
2: yeah. and Clark's He's diligence. He's a bit of a freeloader,
1: right? And Clark's <laughs> diligence. You know, Clark is the Clark is the the type A guy that's out there the breadwinner trying to the breadwinner trying to do everything he can to make Christmas yeah. perfect. And, you know, you, you do kind of see a little bit of, of how, you know, the, the, the vices and virtues match up there. Yeah. And, um, and, and the rest of the movie has other moments that you get an inkling and a hint <laughs> at the opposite virtue. Although I have to admit, the movie is mostly about the vice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when
2: Clark and Cousin Eddie are going to go, he's like, you know, they bring up the issue because Cousin Eddie and his family, they're broke, right? That's why they right. showed up. They're broke. And so Clark is is talking to Cousin Eddie about, well, you know, maybe we should get your get you guys a little something for Christmas, especially for the kids and. You know, they kind of go hem and haw and back and forth a little bit, and then finally, Cousin Eddie produces this massive list. list, right? And then they're at the they're at the store, like a Walmart or something, and just loading up, you right. know, loading up the shopping basket full of just all kinds of just frivolous uh, right.
1: stuff. And you know, that's a great example of that that contrast of, of vice and virtue that's there in that movie. That I think it opens up for for discussion of, of one of the the best ways that we can practice virtue to combat i think the secularization and that is the the primary sin i think that's that's emphasized during advent in our culture is envy all the commercials mm. all the commercialization yeah. all of it is there it's meant i mean oh. it, it's are you a gonna bring up renee
2: Girard?
1: no not at all okay. But um but in that scene with with cousin eddie you see that envy and uh, on the part of Cousin Eddie, and mm-hmm. you see the opposite virtue, and the opposite virtue is the liberality of Clark, the willingness yeah. to to give, the the the, the charity, the alms giving. If we can practice those as Catholics and if we can diligently go out of our way and go that extra mile to show that liberality and that generosity and, and that willingness to, to give and to give back, we can counteract a lot of the envy that's built up in that secular market of, of commercials and commercializations and storefronts and plastic and just stuff that the world is <laughs> overflowing with at this time of the year.
2: Oh, yeah. the it It's modeling the nativity, right, where God becomes man. He becomes one of us, but he's born into what? Utter poverty and complete humility. Uh, With that, we're coming up on a break. So you're listening to The Catholic Cave. Stay tuned. More to come.
0: No fake news here. Just the good news of Jesus Christ as shared through his one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church.
2: Catholic Radio Indy.
0: An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation.
2: I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio. And I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to
1: something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning
0: about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio, building faith, building vocations.
1: Radio is one of the biggest tools that God uses to get truth and hope in life. To get the truths and the promises of God. Into the ears and the hearts of people driving around. Into the hearts of people through these airways.
0: Catholic Radio Indy. You know us as Catholic Radio Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a ministry reaching out to central Indiana and beyond. We have information available about what's happening in parishes here in the Hoosier Heartland, as well as access to the latest from Rome, plus apologetics and authentic Catholic teaching. We are your source for 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org Catholic Radio Indy Keeps Jesus at the center of our day all day long by having those words in the background. It touches us. It does
2: every day.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell, Kent Blantford. We're in the cave talking about Christmas, and we're talking about Advent, and we're also talking about the opposite of Christmas and the opposite of Advent, and that is the secularization that um, tends to go on in our culture this time of Mm. year and tends to try to eradicate The goodness and beauty that is our very religious holiday of Christmas and our time of preparation for that holiday that's at Advent. And uh, we were talking about it in terms of uh, one of our favorite holiday movies. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, oh, yes. and and the reason so why funny. the reason why that movie works so well at Christmas time is because it has both. It has all of the vers- virtues that make Christmas great, but it also has all of the vices. And I think the movie is primarily about the vices, honestly. Um, that, They're that tend to clearly hit, on display. Yes. They tend to pervert Christmas and <laughs> turn Christmas into something that it shouldn't be. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But there are so many funny scenes, though. Uh, that's why it's one of my all-time favorites. Right,
1: right. And, but, and, and on, a, on a more serious note with it, though, I think that movie's great for reflecting on, okay, how do we keep these character traits, the the, the very human foibles that we all have? I mean, all, in, inside of us, there's a Cousin Eddie, and inside of us, there's a Clark Griswold just screaming to get out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you a, don't a, know how badly... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) My cousin Eddie wants to come out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Advent is a time where we we need to prepare for the coming of Christ by training those tendencies out of ourselves. And the way we train those tendencies out is we recognize the vices that are growing in us. And those are vices that our culture during this time of year is actively trying to encourage in us and we turn those around by practicing a complementary vice, a virtue, not a complimentary vice, a complementary <laughs> right, virtue. Right. right. So, you know, when we have those temptations for envy or greed that are so common th- this mm. time of year, we're able to turn those around and practice liberality or almsgiving. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of that. And, you know, honestly, um, In in practicing the opposing vice, um, there's different catalogs of these virtues and vices. So if you go on the internet, you you see different lists, and especially these opposing virtues. So one of the opposing virtues of envy this time of year is simply brotherly love. There you go. And I think that's a fantastic reminder this time of year that when that envy arises— the, the way to combat that is, is simply with a smile and a pat on the back and a warm hug and a practice of that, that brotherly love that says we're all part of mankind together. There, there's not this division.
2: Yeah. Envy to me kind of points to a kind of an emotional state of deprivation. Like I'm, I'm missing something that someone else has, that there's something that I'm being deprived of. And maybe even deprived of, um, I might get a sense of unfairness that comes along with that. And why brotherly love is a great uh, uh, virtue. (laughs) Make sure I get the terms right. The great a great virtue is when brotherly love. When we love someone, we want what's best for them. So when we want what's best for someone, we can then celebrate in a in an empathetic way uh, the good that they're experiencing and the joy that their experience can become to a certain extent, a joy that we that we also can experience. Right.
1: You know, going back to that Christmas vacation movie, um, one of the heartwarming scenes in there is a great demonstration of this. So Clark has tied himself in knots, literally at certain points of the movie, <laughs> right? trying to create the perfect Christmas. And the yeah. reason he does this is out of envy of his dad. You know, it, it 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 builds up. You can see that he envies his dad. He envies what his dad was able to do. He envies the type of dad his dad was sometimes able to be, and um, and so Clark wants to do this. And his dad encourages him. The way to to expel this is to give of yourself. And so right. he 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 offers his uh, he offers Clark the ability and and the chance to read. A you know a, a visit from Saint Nicholas the the, the classic Christmas poem yeah and so you know it's, it's it's one of those touching moments in the film but it's a great example of how an act of brotherly love and brotherly kindness counteracts that envy.
2: Yeah, I think one of the ones too that we want to talk about um, in, in terms of that pairing of uh, vice and virtue uh, are anger and meekness because I think-
1: there, there's no anger in, in Christmas Vacation.
2: Sure, there is. <laughs> 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 all kinds of examples of uh where he loses his cool and uh and he has a Clark has like uh when he loses his cool too he he almost goes into like a temper tantrum you know like a like a toddler um you know stomping his feet and things like that javier chase is such a a good uh comedic actor and very his physicality around some of his humor is hilarious um but i want to focus on so i think we're all pretty familiar with anger uh, but maybe not as familiar with meekness.
1: No, because when you think of meekness, you usually think of it as a vice.
2: Yeah, or we- someone being someone who can be steamrolled. Right. Yeah, you know, somebody that treated can be like walked a carpet. over. Exactly. Yeah. But that's
1: not what meekness is at all. No. In a lot of ways, to be meek, you really have to have a tough spine.
2: Yeah, you've got to have a lot of inner strength because it points to our ability to actually control our emotions. Um, that's what I understand meekness to be. Right.
1: Meekness is that, that element of self-control. And also, think, I think that element of self-awareness also. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think a true understanding of meekness in some ways comes from all of those Stoic virtues. You know, we we talked with oh, um, good point. Dr. Kevin Vost, Vost. about mm-hmm. Stoicism and how influential that was on, on Catholicism. And a lot of those same virtues of of awareness of the world, of an understanding of of where things are coming from and therefore where things are going, uh, a built-in empathy, you know, practicing those types of virtues lead to ultimately meekness.
0: Okay, guys, we've taken a look at the virtues and the vices, the secularization versus the religious religiosity of the holidays. What are we going to do about it?
1: Well, I I think the starting point is practicing these virtues. I I think it starts with us and, um, you know, when you look at this grand story of sin, and, and it's these seven deadly sins, it's the entry of envy, it's the entry of greed and anger and wrath. You find those in the book of Genesis. And the ultimate remedy to those is the coming of the Christ child. Our job isn't to duplicate that, our job isn't to go out there and combat sin necessarily by trying to make ourselves Jesus again. Our job is to prepare the way for Christ to come to others, and so you know, in a lot of ways, the practicing of the virtues, the spreading of the idea of opening your heart up, so that when Christ comes to somebody, they can be receptive. That really is all. Our, all there is to it.
2: Yeah, I think uh, on a practical level, what I might add is, um, I think it's it's practice, understanding, and then practicing the liturgical calendar. So just because Walmart has a bunch of Christmas stuff out doesn't mean that I have to buy it or promote it or or share in it. Um, So I think following the liturgical calendar as Holy Mother Church lays out and enjoying and going deep into each of the liturgical seasons, Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, ordinary time offers its own Kinds of celebrations. I think that's a part of it. And the other part would be we have within those liturgical seasons tremendous um, and ancient traditions and practices that we can do individually and as families. And so get an Advent calendar, get an Advent wreath for your home. Um, you know, don't put your Christmas tree up Thanksgiving weekend, but wait until you're actually getting into, say, uh, maybe the active of there's different ways to market, but usually, um, you know, putting up your Christmas tree and turning the lights on, say, around the 17th when you're getting in within the active of uh, that's going to sound late to be but get within the active of actual Christmas Day and then leaving your lights up, especially in your Christmas tree up through the entire Christmas season, not just taking it down as soon as, you know, Christmas Day is over and the 26th. You know, we're taking everything, off. We're, we're taking down all our decorations right. when the season's still going on. So I just think embracing the season fully, our traditions, um, and following the liturgical calendar is a way to witness in similar ways that we do. We witness on Fridays. By not eating meat or practicing another penance that sort of sets us apart as the people of God,
1: you know that raises a, a liturgical calendar question that we often debate in our family because we we do try to do that. We do try to keep the Christmas decorations up until the end of the Christmas season. Um, so when does Christmas actually end? Is it Epiphany or is it the baptism? Is, is it the feast of the baptism of Jesus?
2: The baptism. The
1: baptism. That that's yes. that, that's that's Tim's official answer. The that's, baptism. That's. that's what it is.
2: <laughs> and then, and that's so that would be the time. And so you'll notice because I, I do I've noticed in my own neighborhood. Well, one I've noticed my neighborhood's probably 30 years old, so it's a, it's an established neighborhood. So maybe there aren't as many younger families there. But I notice though each year there's fewer and fewer homes that actually put up Christmas lights. Um, not It's not a dramatic, but every year I notice there's like one one more house isn't doing it. Um, but then I am by far the last one with Christmas lights actually still out in my yeah. neighborhood. <laughs> That's because sure... you
0: change the bulbs and make them Easter.
2: Right. Ah. Well, actually, what I do with my Christmas tree, because I do have a fake Christmas tree, it's a plastic one, I simply remove the lights and I call it my house plant. So, <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so on the baptism of the Lord, I take off all the decorations and the lights, and that becomes my fern. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to understand, I'm a bachelor, so at my house, camping rules apply. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so back to the back to your question, Kent. Though what what can we do? What practical things can we do to be that light of Christ out in the world um, that, that's increasingly becoming secular? You know, I think part of it is acknowledging the reason for the season when we're we're in public as well. So, you know, going out of our way, going out of our way to wish people a Merry Christmas. Um, You know, one suggestion that came out of the Catholic Men's Conference recently in Advent, I think is a perfect time to start trying to put this into practice, is when people ask you, how are you doing? You say, I'm blessed. Because that Mm. right there kind of... You become a little bit of of that light that's come into the world at Christmas time. Yes, you know, um, you know, it's a maybe trite religious phrase that the the light came into darkness at Christmas time. But we have all sorts of traditions as Catholics where we have incorporated that light. You know, when we were baptized, we were given a baptismal candle with that light. We are to be that light of Christ. it's not supposed to hide under a bushel. We're not, right. We're not supposed to. When somebody says, "Oh yeah, well, season's greetings to you," we're not just supposed to mumble, "Yeah, yeah to, to you too." You know, we're, we're we're supposed to be that light that actively proclaims the gospel. And Advent gives us a lot more opportunities, um, I think, than than ordinary time or other times of the year does.
0: I just want to toss out one thought, and that they always talk about Christmases for children. So when we're talking to our kids, the kids are excited about Santa Claus. Take a moment this year and introduce your children to the original Santa Claus. Take them back and tell them the story of St. Nicholas the true saint nicholas if you don't know it look it up share that story because from saint nicholas came santa claus and as long as we can get santa to point to christ then we know we've succeeded in the christmas season and that is all the time we have for the catholic cave today join us next week and we'll be back with more as we go into advent and we'll be taking a look at uh, everything that's coming up in the next year. For Timothy O'Donnell, for Mark Tuttle, I'm Kent Blanford. God bless. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400.
2: The selfish become generous.
0: The bitter become better.
2: The sinner discovers forgiveness.
0: And the creator of love
2: is introduced. It's known to happen here.
0: Positive change.
2: Catholic Radio Indy.
0: If you'll be doing any Christmas shopping online through Amazon, first, go to smile.amazon and select Catholic Radio Indy as your charity. You only do this one time. And then every time you purchase almost anything on Amazon, we'll receive a donation. It costs you nothing. And if we all do this, well, Catholic Radio will really benefit. So remember, smile.amazon, then select Catholic Radio Indy as your charity. Be sure to use all three words, Catholic Radio Indy.
2: Just a reminder that Catholic Radio Indy is listener supported. If you are one of our regular donors, thank you very much.